This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, November 22nd. Coming up, what's believed to be the first conviction of a Kansas City police officer in the fatal shooting of a black man. And what the once a decade redistricting process could mean for Kansas City. But first, some headlines. Almost all of Missouri's new COVID-19 cases are in unvaccinated people, according to new state data. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Only 2% of Missourians who've been vaccinated have had breakthrough COVID infections, the data show. Out of more than 890,000 confirmed and suspected cases in the state, only around 55,000 have been found among vaccinated Missourians. Of Missouri's more than 12,000 COVID deaths, about 5% have been among breakthrough patients. Still, breakthrough cases now represent a quarter of all new cases in the state. Just over half of Missourians have completed vaccinations. A political committee wants Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas and five members of the city council to face a recall election. But so far, the committee hasn't gotten enough signatures to put the matter before voters. The Midwest Newsroom's Steve Vakrat reports. Thinking back, KC has been out and about this fall. The pro-police political committee wants people to sign petitions aimed at getting rid of a handful of elected officials in Kansas City. They're unhappy that most members of the Kansas City Council voted earlier this year on a plan that would give the council more say in how the police department spends its money. A judge nixed that decision, which taking back KC took as a sign that the council members needed to be held accountable. But the committee's signature drive is going slowly and running out of time. The latest numbers show that the group needs about four times the number of signatures it currently has to force a recall election. And they need all those signatures by November 29th. Kansas lawmakers will convene a special session today to consider measures aimed at circumventing federal COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service has this preview. Republican lawmakers called themselves back by gathering enough signatures to force a special session. They'll consider at least two bills they say are needed to protect Kansans from federal overreach. One would make it easier to skirt the vaccine mandates by requiring employers to grant no-questions-asked religious exemptions to workers who request them. Another would allow workers fired over vaccine disputes to collect unemployment. Democratic Governor Laura Kelly has concerns about the mandates but won't say whether she'll sign the measures, let them become law without her signature, or veto them. I never uh, tip my hand or make a decision about what I'm going to do with the bill until I've actually seen it. If Kelly vetoes the bills, Republican leaders say they'll attempt to override her before the first of the mandates takes effect in early December. On Friday, a judge ruled that Kansas City police officer Eric DeValconeer was guilty in the killing of 26-year-old Cameron Lamb in 2019. It's believed to be the first time a Kansas City police officer has been convicted in a fatal shooting of a black man. KCUR's Dan Margulies covered that trial for us, and he's here to talk about the verdict. Hi, Dan. Hi, Nomi. So remind us, what were the main issues in this case? So Eric DeValconeer was a plainclothes policeman. Uh, a member of the Violent Offender Squad of the Kansas City Police Department, when in December 3, 2019, he and his partner were alerted to a high-speed car chase down a residential street in Kansas City. Turns out that involved the uh, victim in this case, Cameron Lamb, the man whom DeValconeer ultimately shot. So he and his partner basically went uh, after a police helicopter tracked the pickup truck involved in the chase went to the house where the pickup truck uh, was tracked to, and they both converged into the backyard. 
where the Valkyrie uh, saw what he claimed was Lamb reaching for a gun, and he shot through the windshield and killed him. So the issue in this case was whether he and his partner, Sergeant Troy Schwamm, had any right to be on Lamb's property in the first place. In other words, it's a Fourth Amendment issue. They didn't have an arrest warrant. They didn't have a search warrant, nor uh, did they, according to the judge, did they have probable cause to obtain either a search or arrest warrant. Neither were there exigent circumstances or other reasons that would have given them, given them legal justification to be on the property. Those were the judge's findings today. And therefore, he found Deval Kinnear guilty of the two counts with which he was charged, namely involuntary manslaughter and armed criminal action. So what comes next? Well, DeValconeer is almost certain to appeal. I mean, there's no question he will appeal. Um, had he been acquitted, of course, the prosecution couldn't appeal. But uh, he can appeal his convictions. And uh, we'll just have to see how that plays out if and when the appeal takes place. Will there be a sentencing date set for him? Yes. DeValconeer remains free on bond. The presiding judge of Jackson County J. Dale Youngs, he said he will set a sentencing date at some future point. How have people in Kansas City responded to this? Well, uh, I can tell you how the people who were in the courtroom responded. The gallery was packed. Uh, at least 50 people I counted in the gallery, both supporters of DeValconeer, members of his family, and members of Cameron Lamb's family and their supporters. Um, the judge delivered the verdict because it was a bench-tried case. That is to say, DeValconeer waived his right to a jury trial. The judge took about 13 minutes to announce his verdict, and then the courtroom cleared out. And I can tell you that there was jubilation on the part of Lamb's family and uh, their supporters, and there was a lot of hugging and crying in the courthouse hallway. Is there anything else that you have heard so far? Um, yeah. Uh, a lawyer for Lamb's family, S. Lee Merritt, who represents them in a civil case they have filed against a Valconeer and the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners, uh, hailed the verdict as historic and momentous. Dan Margulies covers legal issues for KCUR. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Nomi. Coming up, how new U.S. Census data might change Kansas City's city council. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. 
Every 10 years, states redraw the boundaries of districts for state legislatures and Congress based on new census data. Kansas City is undergoing an equally important redistricting of its six council districts. The city's redistricting commission will soon send its recommendations to the city council. The commission is meeting today at 4 p.m. Major changes are expected to affect everything from political power dynamics to how tax dollars get spent on infrastructure. Here to talk us through the fierce debate is KCUR contributor Lynn Horsley. Hi, Lynn. Hi there. So what is redistricting in Kansas City all about and why is it important? So, Nomeen, let's start with some basics. Under the city charter, Kansas City has to draw its boundaries for its six council districts every 10 years, and that's to equalize their population counts according to the latest census. Kansas City's population has increased by nearly 50,000 people in the past 10 years, and that growth has occurred unevenly. So right now, the districts are way out of whack. Uh, The districts covering the Northland, Downtown, and Midtown have thousands more residents than the districts covering the Urban Core and Southland. And that violates the rule of equal representation and equal population between districts. It also creates inequality in how money for infrastructure is divvied up among the districts. So a redistricting commission, which is made up of citizens, has been meeting for months to discuss new maps to bring to the city council in December. What are they arguing about? So the biggest argument has been about how to split up the Northland. Uh, Since 1991, the Northland has been split vertically between Districts 1 and 2, with Platte County and part of Clay County in District 2, and most of eastern Clay County in District 1. But some people strongly want a horizontal split across the whole Northland, generally along Berry Road. Advocates for that horizontal split say their working-class neighborhoods in the southern sector have been neglected because the four Northland council members live farther north. So about a dozen people connected to the Casey Tenants advisory group shared that perspective at a November 8th public hearing. But others say splitting the Northland based on that socioeconomic status would be divisive and less diverse and would hurt Northland cohesion. So opponents of the horizontal split say it would put all the growth in the northern part of the Northland, which would very soon have way more people than other districts, still violating that one-person, one-vote rule, which redistricting is supposed to fix. So what does the commission think? Well, the commission members are also sharply divided on this, with strong opinions both for and against the horizontal drawing. Uh, The commission is also grappling with other changes, especially affecting the 4th District, which encompasses Briarcliff, Downtown, and Midtown. The 4th District has traditionally included the plaza and down to 59th Street, but because of population shifts, its southern boundary is likely to move closer to 43rd Street, and that would put the plaza in the 6th District, which would be a major change. The commission is trying to draw maps so it doesn't split up key neighborhoods, but it's been hard. What happens next? So the commission has been taking a lot of public comment and making tweaks to the proposed maps for weeks, and they are expected to finish their work possibly today or next week, and they'll present to a city council committee the week of December 6th. By charter, the full city council must approve new maps by the end of this year. So fasten your seatbelt. There's a lot to accomplish within just a couple of weeks. 
The Kansas City Redistricting Commission meets today at 4 p.m. Lynn Horsley is a contributor to KCUR. You can read her story about redistricting in the city at kcur.org. Thanks, Lynn. You're welcome. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read our coverage of redistricting on kcur.org, where you can also find a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at who has power over Kansas City's police department. Thanks for listening and I'll see you soon.